Well, welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today I want to talk to you about some of the history of the village of Homer, Michigan. Now, to begin telling the story of Homer, let's start with some of the geographic topography. And I'm getting this information from a book called The History of Calhoun County, Michigan by a man named Washington Gardner. And he has a section here in the book about Homer Township and the village of Homer and its founding. The township of Homer is located in the southeastern portion of the county. It was an undulating surface. Generally speaking, the soil is fertile. Originally, it was part of a plain oak openings, much of which was cleared and upon which the Indians raised maize. That's corn. Other portions were heavily timbered with maple, beech, and ash, while oak and some hickory were found in the hills and slopes. A number of small lakes were located in different parts of the township. The Kalamazoo River enters the town at the east side and flowing in a northwesterly direction deflects to the north at Homer Village and from there flows in a northeasterly direction. The stream furnishes excellent water power at different points and it was the water power that determined the location of Homer Village. Now, referring to the Village of Homer's website, they contain a brief description of the history. They describe the Village of Homer as having been incorporated in 1871, but its rich history dates back to the hardy pioneers who settled there. Powell Grover, William Winterstein, and two brothers, Richard and Henry McMurty, were the first pioneers to come to Homer. It was mid-April 1832, and they walked all the way from Luzerne, County, Pennsylvania, to settle on lands three miles east of the area that later became the village of Homer. Milton Barney arrived from Lyons, New York, later in 1832, purchased land along the Kalamazoo River, and the next year brought his family to the area where he had built a log house, a store, and a small sawmill using the water power from the river. He built the first hotel, served as the first postmaster, and started the state's first wildcat bank. This cluster of buildings was the beginning of Barneyville, the village's original name that was changed to Homer in 1834 because James Hopkins and others from Homer, Cortland County, New York, wanted the area named after their previous home. So going back to history of Calhoun County, Michigan, Washington Gardner has much to say about Milton Barney. He says that Homer was fortunate in the number and character of its early settlers. In this respect, it compares most favorably with Marshall, Battle Creek, and Albion, where James Crowell from Albion, Sidney Ketchum from Marshall, and Sands McCamley to Battle Creek, Milton Barney was to Homer. It was in 1832 that Mr. Barney came from Lyons, New York, and entered a large part of the land on which the village of Homer now stands, including the water power of the Homer Mills. In 1833, he brought his family and in that year built a log house near the site of the Homer Mills. About this time, he had laid out a plot for the village, which then and for some time after was called Barneyville. Mr. Barney built the very first sawmill and also the first grist mill. These were constructed by mechanics whom Barney had induced to come west. 
He also built and ran the first hotel. He built, stocked, and conducted the first store, and he gave the plot of ground two acres in an area for a cemetery. He was president of the first bank started in Homer in the year 1837, and it was located in his store. But in the following year, the directors put up a fine brick structure in the center of town, the first town meeting was held at the home of Mr. Barney in 1834. He was one of the prime movers in the project to connect the waters of Lake Michigan with those of the Detroit River and Lake Erie by means of a ship canal. Following it, in its general course, the channels of the St. Joseph and Huron Rivers. Surveys were made, levels were struck, and the project regarded so feasible that a favorable recommendation was made by the engineers. At one time, it really looked as though Homer might be an important part on the line of a ship canal connecting the waters of two of our great inland seas which I found to be a very interesting history, and I've not heard much about that this canal was proposed, and there was actually a bill in Washington proposing the funding of building this canal, which the magnitude of the construction would have been similar to the Erie Canal in that portion of the state, and it would have gone through portions of southern Michigan and northern Indiana, which is quite an interesting history. So he continues on that, that it was not altogether visionary and may be inferred that the fact for some time there was a Congress bill to build a ship canal through the southern parts of Michigan, northern Indiana, and northwestern Ohio, which would have intermingled the waters of these two lakes. It's not among the impossible things, he says, that someday the dream of Homer's fathers may be realized, though, with another setting. But apparently that uh, construction project was never funded or approved, and life moved on in Homer. An act of legislative council in 1834, the township of Homer was organized with an area of 12 square miles. Following this, there was a spark of a lot of little settlements and a lot of settlers moving into the area. And then he goes on to describe the Homer village, and he discusses more about Milton Barney. And he says that time has proven the wisdom of the selection of the site of where he chose to put the Homer village. For beauty of location is not surpassed in the county. For the character of the business blocks, its fine churches and superior schools, its excellent class of private homes, its spacious and well-kept lawns, its finely shaded streets and long stretches of well-constructed and durable sidewalks, it will bear favorable comparison with many other large places. The Superior Electric Lighting Plant, which was established in 1890, and its recently 1911 installed system of waterworks, place within the reach of its people the enjoyment of what are termed modern improvements. So the modern improvements of electricity and water power came to the Homer village uh, by 1911 essentially. Three lines of railroads made it very accessible. The airline of the Michigan Central System, which ran from Jackson to Niles, connecting with the main line at both of these places. The Lakeshore and Michigan Southern gives a direct line to the capital of the state and also to the northeast. And to the south, it not only intersects with the main line at Jonesville, but gives direct service to Fort Wayne, Indiana, and Cincinnati, Ohio. The third road runs from Toledo to the southeast to Allegan at the northwest. 
The last name road gives access to the ports on Lake Michigan and through Toledo, a fine outlet in the markets of the east. The water power located by Barney and conserved by the fine cement dam recently built is now, as it was 80 years ago, one of the most valuable village assets. Then he goes on to describe education. Education from the very first has been encouraged in Homer. As early as 1845, through the enterprise of some of its leading citizens, the classical studies were taught in the then village. In 1856, his people erected a brick building to be used as an academy. Later, they became the home of the high school that, in turn, gave place to a modern high school building erected in 1890, which is rarely equaled in any community of its like size. A study of that portion of this volume, treating on the war for the Union, will show that Homer, in that crucial period, acted well on its part. The memories of our heroes of 1861 to 1865 will stir the patriotic blood of her youth for generations to come. Then Washington Gardner goes on to describe more about the Homer Bank. The first bank of Homer, which also bears the distinction of being the first bank of its kind in the state of Michigan, was known as the Farmer's Bank of Homer, incorporated August 19, 1837. Its president was Milton Barney and cashier Achille Finch Jr. with Milton Barney. And then he describes the whole list of board of directors. It was also known in those days as a wildcat bank, pure and simple, but did a flourishing business during those three short years of its life. Mr. Andrew Dorsey, an old-time resident of Homer, has as his possession several pieces of the currency floated by the institution during that time that it did business. The bank first commenced operations in the rear of Milton Barney's store and later erected a brick building on the site now occupied by the Calhoun State Bank. The next bank to be started in Homer, for which had any record, was that of Thomas Lyon, opened in 1870 and known for many years as the Exchange Bank, and later as Thomas and Lyon and Company. In 1891, Mr. Lyon organized and incorporated the first state bank of Homer, with a capital stock of $25,000, later increased to $35,000, he being its president. In 1875, Albert V. Park and Wells Pratt started a private bank known as Parks and Pratt and did a flourishing business for a number of years, finally closing their doors in the summer of 1888. The firm of Andrews and Webster opened a bank office in May of 1887 and the firm being comprised of Albert Andrews and William Webster. In 1892, they incorporated as the Farmer State Bank with $15,000 in capital. So it's interesting to look at some of these early banks and how they were kind of called wildcat banks. And I'm still doing a lot of research on that. Um, most of the small communities, even Battle Creek, Albion, and Marshall, all had these early banking systems that were established by individuals, and they would issue their own banknotes, and this was the currency used. And a lot of these banks only lasted for two to three years, and then at some point, federal regulations started coming in, and they started establishing some kind of federal laws to bring this kind of stuff under control because there were a lot of wildcat banks where they would take people's deposits and the money would just kind of disappear. You'd go to withdraw your money and uh, 
there was no record or something like that. So I've been uh, talking with some of the local old timers and historians who are collectors of some of these things. And they were telling me it was kind of wild and crazy time, you know, for the banking system. And so a lot of people had mattress money that they kept and they didn't use the banknotes. But there was, um, you know, there's also a coin system and that sort of thing. So I'm still kind of getting my feel around the early banking systems of Michigan and also the United States during this period uh, because it was kind of a wild and woolly time for the banking system. But it's very interesting to hear Washington Gardner's take on this as he has this little description of the Homer Village, which was significant in its time because it was the first bank formed in the state of Michigan, according to him anyways. Now, the Homer Village Historic District today contains much of the original plat of the original village of Homer, including the two-block core commercial area with the surrounding residential areas. The district contains 210 buildings and structures, 188 of which constitute the historic nature of the district. The commercial section is substantially two-story brick commercial buildings. And perhaps the most distinctive building is the three-story Lion Block, which constitutes kind of the public square located at the west end of the commercial district. And it's a, preserved a lot of the history in terms of what the village originally looked like. It's one of the smaller villages in Michigan that has retained a lot of their buildings. And the architectural styles include Greek Revival, Italianate, and Queen Anne, along with some simpler vernacular versions of these various styles. And one of the nice things about Homer is they do still have a lot of tree-lined streets in the old areas and the older neighborhoods. And one of the features that used to exist in downtown was the old Homer Mill, which was built by Milton Barney. And I'm going to go over a little bit of a history of that mill because it used to be a significant historic landmark in the community. So in 1837, the original mill was built on the banks of the Kalamazoo River in what was known at that point as Barneyville, and it was built by Milton Barney. In 1886, several years later, fire destroyed the original mill and construction of a new mill was started. Um, 1887, a man by the name of Cornelius Coykendall Courtright opened a new mill and began to grind Victor flour. In 1908, a dam at the mill broke during what was to become known as the Great Kalamazoo Valley Flood. By 1970, the production at the mill phased out as the owner at the time, H. Van Patten Milling Company, looked to close it. 1974, James Miller bought the mill for $20,000 and began to open the True Grist Dinner Theater for about a year after the purchase. Various groups operated the theater until 1987. So the mill went from being a mill originally, it burned down, it got rebuilt, was used as a mill for a long time. And then about um, 1974, it was purchased and made into a theater. So 1996, John and Alice Blakemore bought the mill and open a restaurant and banquet hall in the mill. It was still at this time regarded as a landmark. So 10 years later, Lance and Susan Cuffle opened the Homer Mill as a restaurant, bar, and also a haunted house. And even legendary shock rocker Alice Cooper made regular visits to meet his fans at this place. So it was becoming quite a different uh, legendary type uh, location in the community. Even after I first moved to Battle Creek, there were advertisements on the radio for the Homer Mill. Uh, that was roughly about 2001. And um, there was uh, the haunted house and that sort of thing. 
And so sadly, in, on May 16th, 2010, a morning fire in the mill destroyed it and burned it to the ground. And the community was kind of devastated. Um, it had been a landmark in the community since the 1880s. And it was a focal point in the city of Homer. And so the fire chief said, it's just tragic for the town, a lot of history here. But there was little that the firefighters could do to save the mill. But they arrived at the scene of the fire and there was about seven fire departments assisting the Homer Fire Department and about 70 firefighters working the scene. And the thing was just a blaze. I mean, they they poured, according to this article that I'm looking at here, 37,000 gallons of water trying to put the fire out and eventually drawing water from the Kalamazoo River, which ran nearby, to uh, put, out, put out the fire at the mill. And they said it was probably the biggest fire in the, the village of Homer since the school burned in 1943. And after that fire, cinders and ash littered the streets surrounding the mill for weeks. And it took quite a while for all the ash to wash off the city streets and the vehicles. And there were several employees working in the mill that evening preparing it for the season's haunted house season. And they had... Uh, they were devastated that the, the building caught on fire. And the cause of the fire wasn't determined at the time this article was written, which was done the day after. Investigators were still working on it. But the haunted house aspect of the mill during that period from about 2006 till the time it burned was probably the most notable thing in the community as it drew a lot of attention. I mean, with the visits of Alice Cooper coming to the mill, that was quite something. And the mill itself had a reputation of being haunted. There had been said to be ghosts that haunted the mill, and a team of Michigan ghost watchers had once investigated the mill uh, on two separate occasions in 2009. So it uh, was kind of a, a sad loss to the land as a landmark in the village of Homer. Now, an interesting note about the cemetery that Barney had set aside after he built his first house near the lake. Uh, when I was checking, find a grave to see if that cemetery still exists and there is a notation of the original Homer West Street Cemetery. However, it's noted in here that the exact location is unknown at the present time and that there had been one resident that had been an, a boy when he had first moved to the Homer Village 72 years prior and he had made note that he remembered the tract of land and seeing some head stones there. But today that tract of land apparently is part of the uh, DT&M track, which is a railroad. And there's no evidence that it was ever a sacred ground for a cemetery. So that uh, original man who was a boy when he came to Homer was named George Cleveland, who had made that report that that he remembered seeing the cemetery there. Now, apparently the cemetery does show up on the early 1916 Calhoun County map, so they can approximate where it was, but uh, apparently it's no longer there, and whether the bodies were moved to another cemetery or if they're still buried there is unknown, but apparently they are under the railroad tracks there in uh, proximity to the village of Homer. The only other notation here is that the, the first person 
person buried there was a man named William Powers, who died the first year after the cemetery was established, and he was the first person interred at that cemetery. But oddly enough, the photo that they show on Find a Grave appears to be an open track, grassy area of land with trees on it, and I don't see any railroad tracks, so I guess I'd have to go pay a visit to the actual village to sort out what they're talking about there. But it's another one of those early cemeteries where the headstones either sunk or were removed. Sometimes they get stolen by vandals. Oftentimes they sink into the earth over time and they disappear and the cemetery kind of gets forgotten about. And there's many cases like that. Um, There's a few in the Battle Creek area, for example. There's the Haskell Home Cemetery. All the cemetery headstones are believed to have sunk into the earth or had been stolen. And then the old Verona Cemetery, which is now occupied by power lines, is another cemetery that no longer has headstones there. And memories as to whether the bodies were removed or not is another questionable thing when you're trying to research that cemetery in history. So I am sure it's very similar to what that cemetery is in Homer. Perhaps the cemetery records are retained somewhere, but maybe there weren't any at that time. It is a very old cemetery dating back to the early 1832 to 33 era. So it's somewhat of a loss for historians in present day. So the history of Homer dating back from when it was a wide open oak openings in the forest where the Indians planted their corn and made their birch bark canoes to the early settlers who built log cabins and Milton Barney who founded the first mill, bank, and general store. Moving forward all the way to the present day village that has taken time to preserve some of its history with the historic district and the history of the old mill and its tragic loss in 2010. Homer is a very interesting community in Calhoun County and it's very worth taking your time to visit. They have an annual festival in the summertime and you can check it out on their website. They haven't yet posted the time of doing this podcast as to when it is scheduled um, but they do have festivals down there and it's just a, a nice little village and they have a pizza place that has been known to have a quite a reputation um, spanning all over the county so definitely worth taking time to plan a visit to that small little community if you're in the area and check out some of the historic buildings and some of the culture of that little community called homer Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast looking at the history of the Homer Village. And if you would like to find out more about me, check out my website at michaeldelaware.com. You can also check out my YouTube channel, searching Michael Delaware on YouTube, and you'll come across my channel and my videos on history, covering a wide variety of history topics, mostly in Southwest Michigan. And if you'd like to support the work that I'm doing here, um, check out my links on my website where you can pick up merchandise or make a direct donation to the work that I'm doing here. And until next time, as we take another journey down into the past of Southwest Michigan's history, thank you for listening.